From VinePair's New York City headquarters, this is End of Day Drinks, where we sit down with the movers and shakers in the beverage industry. So pour yourself a glass and listen along with us. Let's start the show. Today on End of Day Drinks, we're talking to Dia Sims, CEO of Lobos 1707 Tequila and Mezcal. We'll talk coming up in New York, specifically Queens, and the full circle of her opening up her Wolfpack-style office space in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. We'll talk about how her career landed her a job with Diddy working on Ciroc Vodka. Then we'll deep dive into Lobo 1707, talk about work ethic and inclusivity in the industry. Let's start the show. Hello and welcome to End of Day Drinks with Vine Pear. I am Kat Walensky, Vine Pear's senior editor, recording in Brooklyn, New York. And I'm here with members of our editorial team. We have our tastings director and producer, Keith Beavers. We have our assistant editor, Emma Cranston. And we have Elgin Nelson, our editorial assistant. And we are speaking today with Dia Sims. She is the CEO of Lobos 1707 Tequila and Mezcal. It's a brand that launched last year, and it's just the latest in a long line of very impressive things that Dia has been involved in. She previously served as president of Combs Enterprises, as in Sean Diddy Combs Enterprises, and she was in that role when the company's investment in Ciroc Vodka transformed that brand into a billion-dollar ultra-premium vodka brand. She's also been on Ebony's Power 100 list, Billboard's Women in Music list, and on our list as someone we've really been looking forward to speaking with and having on the show. So before I give too much away, Dia, take the mic. Say hello. Oh, la, la. Kat, that's a wonderful intro. I'm <laughs> my mom later. I'm not- <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a wonderful <laughs> guest. I had to like, you know, pull out the stops. <laughs> no, seriously, thank you for having me. I'm so so excited to be here today. So, first of all, where are you joining us from? I'm in sunny Los Angeles, and I know this is probably cliche to say out loud, but it is actually enormously like incredibly gorgeous today. So, I feel very, I feel very it's like extra LA. It's like movie LA like today. <laughs> Surprisingly, it's actually a nice day here on the East Coast, too, but that's pretty rare. Um, and <laughs> are you usually in L.A.? Where Where are you? Like, no. Um, so I mostly grew up in New York, in Queens, and then mm-hmm. I am between um, New York and Maryland most of the time. But um, we, have, I, we have lots of stuff and exciting things going on with Lobo 1707 in, in L.A. and Miami and all over the country. So I, we, I travel where I have to go to move this wonderful tequila. Absolutely. And uh, where is the company operating right now? Is it mostly in Maryland? No, the company is in the Lower East Side um, in New York. Actually, we were, if you guys are booking at some point, we'd love to have you by our office. We uh, we were really intentional about, we had a chance, we have great investors behind the brand and we could have got like, you know, a swanky office. Um, and, we, and we were like, no, we really want to be at like the heartbeat of where culture is being created. And LES is so famous for so many, everything from, the hottest sneakers to the coolest next food trends coming out of the Lower East Side for the last hundred years. In some ways, it's very much like um, one of the last zip codes that represents, I feel like, the tradition of old New York. 
Um, so we built our office in the spirit of a wolf pack to be uh, wolf pack to be an actual like den. We have a full stage, a huge bar, a full like a literally a, this like super long table that our founder actually built with his own hands. And once you know pandemic continues to get better and better, which I believe it is going to, um, we have already, we've already extended to the community to say, hold your community board meetings here. If you're a young artist and you need to shoot your, you know, your campaign, your cover art here, you can come shoot it here. Cause it actually used to be a studio. So the light's incredible. Um, but we, we were like, we want to build an office that is, that we serve the consumer, right? That is not just um, a one-way experience. And we want to kind of walk it like we talk it. So we love the space and I'd love to have you guys there. Wow. We would, of course, like to come by. Uh, Vine Pair is actually based in Manhattan. We're all remote right now. So some of us are in Brooklyn. Some of us are in New Jersey. Keith. Uh, Elgin's actually in the Bahamas. Oh, okay. He went to that location, <laughs> location today. Right, right. <laughs> but that sounds like such a cool space. So is it, is it kind of like um, it's a part, part office and then experiential marketing? Like... Yeah, we can have we can host events and dinners. We actually have a kitchen in there. We're having a dinner actually on Monday, COVID nineteen safe, um, with an amazing chef. So it's um it's a it's a flex space, um, but but it was more important to us to kind of also we think about trying to be creative and have that energy. I don't know. It's just like we're living after this last year in a transition of what an office even is, mm-hmm. um, because obviously we're we're kind of doesn't matter where we are, train, plane, hotel. You're you're at your office if you have your device with you. Um, and we thought that we didn't, doesn't need to be so traditional the way it was. Doesn't need to be five cubicles and six offices. And then, and, and it's really an opportunity for us to vibe as a community. That is so true. And it, I think what you're saying speaks to your adaptability too, as a businesswoman. Um, I'd love if you could kind of take us through your career track, like what led you here and, and, you know, like. Where'd you start and everything in between? Oh yeah. So my um my career track was not at all linear. I definitely wasn't like, I'm gonna go to school and then I'm gonna be in spirits. And it was a hundred percent not the case. Um I am a super geek and I do love to learn and over deliver where I am. So the only thing I think I was consistent about is like how can I bring the utmost excellence and learn every single thing I can about whatever my job title was? So very different from tequila. I started off uh, working for the Department of Defense, negotiating defense contracts. And uh, I was very young. I was handed, I was maybe 20, well, relatively young. I'm 45 now, so I was maybe 21. And I was handed like a $120 million contract to negotiate. Wow. And as you can imagine, exactly. And as you can imagine, the contractors I was negotiating with were like, what is this whippersnapper like doing in the room? Like, why is she <laughs> She should be getting my coffee. Like, so I, um, but it was the absolute best training ground for every single thing I did after that. I was sent to um, what was called then the Defense Acquisition University, where I was trained uh, in negotiations. I had a secret clearance. I thought that was very cool. And then, um, and, but most importantly, when I had to be in a space where people who had been in the industry respectfully for 50, 60 years, um, and I'm brand new, that I understood uh, very much on day one that, frankly, you know, excellence and knowledge is going to be my only weapon. And if I had to memorize the federal acquisition regulations and know them backwards and forwards, and if I had to fight for the taxpayers' money like it was my own money, then, then I would do so. And beyond that, um, it, it was the things I learned there, negotiating for trainer jets and buying helicopters and integrated logistic supports for jets and a tripartite agreement with Singapore and France. It, it has 
it, I didn't know it then, but when I had to negotiate deals for Puff Daddy fast forward 15 years, or when I want to pick the movie with my husband in the kitchen, everything I learned in the Department of Defense comes up to <laughs> every day. <laughs> wow. That is, it's like just worlds away from what we think of as being in the spirits industry, but it's transferable skills, right? Like, I, I love the example about the, watching the movie with your husband. It's like, we're negotiating things every day in whatever we're doing and uh yours just happens to be involving the entire globe <laughs> so i went from uh i went from defense and honestly at some point i got bored um and i was just complaining about it and i had an opportunity to apply for a job in advertising sales and radio in maryland so i went and i applied and um i got the job and i took the job very again very different than the rigor of working for, you know, the, the U.S. federal government. This was, um, this is basically sales, but it's it's what you call like eat what you kill. So you get a certain amount, you're paid, but you have to sell enough in order to cover it. So you know, I always say it's like it's like selling crack without any addiction. So yeah, it's like the drama and excitement of selling crack, but there's no addiction, so you really have to sell the thing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so it was, uh, it was one year of me learning like, a lot about advertising and marketing. And again, I got great training. I was working for Clear Channel. So they trained me on out of home television, radio ads. Um, this is way back when we were like getting trained on a fax machine. So I mean, like we were learning, but, but what I really learned about is, um, the right marketing demographic, how to, you know, demographic, um, focus, how to segment your marketing approach and then, and how to sell, which again, is just an invaluable thing, no matter what job you're in. And after doing it for a year, it occurred to me, I could be doing it for myself. So I got with some girlfriends and we launched our own marketing company called Madison Marketing, which was where I really first got into spirits. I got oh. Seagram's as a client. And then I ran a small on and off premise um, promotions team in the DC, Maryland, Virginia area. And I've always been kind of like mad centric. So I would be really uh, focused on, okay, if I send a promotional model to a liquor store, I want to ensure that we sell enough bottles that we pay for ourselves, right? I always want to go back to Seagram's and say, you may have paid us X, but we, we moved, you know, this many bottles. Um, and that was just like intuitive as an entrepreneur. And, uh, but it, it, it helped build a good reputation in the beginning and give me my first entree into the spirits industry. And then I basically was on and off in sales for a while, ended up back in New York working for um, Power 105 Radio, which was at that time a brand new hip hop station. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. And it was kind of a big deal back then because Hot 97 is kind of a legendary in hip hop, mm -hmm. like the first biggest hip hop station in the world. And yep. Puff at the time refused to advertise on the other station, Power 105, out of his great loyalty to Hot 97. So when I started working there, I ended up inheriting all the music labels as clients. And I was told, like, Bad Boy Records will not advertise on our station. We really want to get them as a client. So I made it like a mission and then eventually got convinced them, the executives there, to take a chance on them and started to get more and more business for Bad Boy Records. And at some point, one of the marketing executives called me and said, look, Puff is looking to hire a, um, a chief of staff. And she was like, I just feel like you guys would get along and you send me a lot of emails at three in the morning. So I think you don't sleep and he doesn't sleep. So you guys... <laughs> You should interview for the job. And I was like, okay, I'll take the interview. Um, super fast interview, five minutes. I had no idea how it went, but they called me and said, Puff would like you to, to come take the job. But because you haven't managed really large teams before, would you be willing to start as an executive assistant? And I was basically like, you know, you could 
I don't care what you call me. You can call me the janitor. This is what I want to make. And I'll be there in a couple weeks. Wow. That's amazing. Um, I can't. So like, did he, did he end up advertising on 105 or they just like still oh, yes, didn't do yes, it? Yes, okay, okay. Okay. Yes. So yeah, we got my first. Uh, so you got the deal and then you got a job <laughs> for him. <laughs> that's for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. That is like, they poached you. So as president of Combs, um, if I'm, if I'm correct, you, you were the first person to also become president of that company ultimately. Yes. I mean, so I, I was there for 14 years. And again, as I started off as an executive assistant, and then I grew to become the first president in the history of the company, uh, Puff always acted as the president himself. So I, I'm, I'm always forever so honored and grateful that he gave me a chance to you know, to run the company, because that's his real baby. I mean, he was in this since he was, you know, 19. So it's a different, it feels like the family business to him. And um, I was always grateful for that chance. Wow, 19. That is so young. That is, that um, is crazy. So this was, um, this is where you also got, were involved with Ciroc. So could you tell us yeah. a little bit about how that happened? So yeah, so before I had an actual baby, Ciroc was my, my first baby. Oh. And um, when we were... <laughs> So Puff was originally, he had, as you can imagine, been um, offered tons of opportunities to work in the spirits industry, but he took it really seriously. And when this opportunity came about with Diageo, we were really thoughtful about um, how the approach would be, how we'd make sure there was responsible consumption, and how if if minorities and um, were going to be supportive of this brand, how do we make sure that they benefit economically, right? Not just mm-hmm. on the consumer side. Um, and when we had the chance, I went to him and said as I just mentioned, I said, look, I am actually trained in negotiations. I know I'm your chief of staff today, but I would like to be on the team to negotiate with Diageo for this grant. Um, you know, would you include me? And he said, sure. Um, so it was a very small group of us. We worked with Diageo for about nine, 10 months. And, and you know, they were phenomenal partners throughout. And then when we finished the deal and we're getting ready to launch Jirak, I went back and said, your all of your legacy has really been rooted in exceptional marketing and at that time there was like there was a very small the marketing team was very small so i said i would like to relaunch the agency you had before called blue flame and take lead on sirak vodka Mm. which would mean i would step away from my current role at that time as chief of staff i had i managed all of his estates security um everything to do personally, as well as everything, all the businesses, Sean John, 22 licenses, the record label. So it was a, it would mean stepping away from that and focusing on this one vertical. And he basically said, well, yeah, sure. If you replace yourself, you can do, you can do it. So I went to get Blue Flame funded and then started hiring people and kind of did both jobs for a year. And then a year later when Ciroc was doing crazy numbers up a thousand percent in multiple zip codes, I went back and was like, I need to just work on this. Like this is, this is a, if we look at the efficiency of our time, this is right. Oh, wow. We have an amazing brand here that people are really responding to. And he, he finally uh, agreed. And then we were off to the races. Yeah. That's like, <laughs> that's obviously it's its own job completely. Um, that's, I can't believe you're doing both for a year. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was intense. And, and then um, it's so funny because I started 2005. It was the same 2007. Yeah. So it was the same year I got married too. So I was like, this is like the craziest year of my life. <laughs> oh my gosh, you had time for a wedding? This yes. makes no sense. <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> That's amazing. Um, I think 
Emma, you wanted to ask a question. Yeah. Hey, Dia, this is Emma. Um, just chiming in, but um, I just wanted to kind of learn about fast forwarding to Lobos, what it's been like to move from vodka and Ciroc to tequila and Lobos, um, just in terms of like switching categories, but also like, what do you think you've been able to really um, do with Lobos that you couldn't do with Ciroc, maybe in terms of like the mission statement or anything that you feel you really, really um, are really proud of with Lobos now? Well, I'm I'm incredibly proud of Lobo 1707 as a brand and for the team. I, I did previously work in the space. I worked with um, Sean, another tequila. And at one point, we literally tried over 200 tequilas. So I'm super familiar with the category um, and was excited to have this chance to launch a brand in, in, this, in this time. I think the biggest difference is less about the specific brands and, and a little bit more around the timing in. Like we know um, we're just living in just such unprecedented times. And it was really important to the founder and I, we launched Lobo 1707 to be re really respectful of that, right? And understand um, kind of to the point I mentioned earlier about the way we built the office, that we wanted inclusion to be built into the core of what we do, not an afterthought, not something you do on Tuesday nights or one person does during, you know, whatever left-handed purple hair day, like it needs to actually be, it needs to be part of the footprint and the heartbeat of the way we build the company. I'm really proud to say now coming up, um, you know, on a, on a year later, we're intentionally 50% uh, women led, we're over 60% diverse. And I think the foundation of who we are being set before we spent the time on what we are, I think makes a difference all the way down to the liquid. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I guess specifically, I'd, I'd read so much about um, Lobos's mission to build a bigger table and everything you were talking about with your offices. Like, it sounds like you have this super dynamic, inclusive space. Um, how do you feel like Lobos and your team right now is really building a bigger table? And like, what does that look like in action? Absolutely. So a couple of things. Here's a simple thing um, that I think is a good example, though. When we did our launch creative, um, I've sat and been fortunate to build a lot of brands where you come up with some cool idea and you shoot it and it's all about the cinematography. We really said like the easiest thing to do is tell the truth. Um, so our creative, we feature like the the actual Hemodors who work on this brand, um, the actual owners of the brand, the people who work, everybody in our commercial launch creative are, are real um, part of the Lobos family, um, which is different than a lot of other brands where it's even in tequila space, you'll see the Hemodors they're blurred out, honestly, a lot of times in the background, and, and they're probably actors um, okay. when they really are the rock stars of the brand <laughs> when you think about it. So even though we're so fortunate to have, um, you know, huge luminaries like Arnold Schwarzenegger and LeBron James behind the brand, for us, you know, the liquid and the people and the humanity and the way our brand operates, like that's the that's the real superstar message. And yeah, that was a perfect segue to my question. Um, so I wanted to ask because last year, Vine Pair published an article on why celebrities want to make a tequila brand. Like, that's, like, the thing now. Everybody wants to make a tequila brand, and celebrities are backing that. But given your investment from LeBron James, how has Lobos benefited from that? And also, like, what is your position regarding celebrity tequila? Because it is a big thing right now. It is. And I, so all, all of us, like, I don't believe in celebrity brands for the sake of celebrity brands and I don't, the consumer is too smart and they can read very quickly through an inauthentic 
pairing, right? Um, mm-hmm. The thing with LeBron that's really natural, um, and I can spend a little time on this to help give a heartbeat to this. Um, Lobos means wolves in Spanish. And our, like, our overarching cry is this famous Kipling quote, which I'm sure you're familiar with, is for the strength of the pack is the wolf, and for the strength of the wolf is the pack. And LeBron, besides falling in love with the actual liquid and the heritage and the true story of the fact that our founder's family have been in the industry for 400 years and that we use barrels from his bodega in Spain, all of that truth was really attractive to LeBron. But beyond that, he's such a big believer in the need for respecting every member of your team and and the fact that each one of you being strong together makes all of us strong as a collective. Um, So his presence is quite natural to the brand. And and I think the other key piece is, just to be honest, is all the people who are behind our brand, they're... They, you know, they wrote checks as investors. This is not an endorsement deal. This is not somebody who doesn't really drink the brand and is doing it because they're getting a check every couple of weeks. They believe in it as businessmen. They believe in the proposition and they believe in a product. And I just, I think you can very much sense the difference when something is authentic and when it's forced. Right, right. That was a really and, good distinction. Sorry, right. go ahead, Elgin. Yeah, I was, I was just going to chime in and, and say, so given that and kind of given your, your strong hold as a team, you know, you say Wolfpack um, and LeBron bringing that mentality to the team. What other, I guess, you know, investors that you saw that kind of helped bring the brand along that maybe wasn't necessarily part of the Wolfpack, but was essential um, in, you know, really launching the Lobos brand? Um, because you see that a lot with these celebrity tequila brands as well. You have a lot of backing behind these celebrities um, that pretty much make that whole team work. So I just want to get your opinion on that. Well, you know what? A lot of times it's the people that don't, frankly, are are not necessarily the names everybody knows. But, um, you know, people that we've hired, I've worked with for years on other brands, and they are the difference makers. The real experience makes a difference. This is maybe not like the sexiest answer, but I think the reason why our brand is now 5XR Original Forecast is because we have experienced people who understand how to build a brand and know the spirits industry. You guys know this. I think on this industry, you can, I mean, on this, on this particular podcast, it's the, you know, you guys get it more than most. It's not as easy as like you have a cool idea and you add a celebrity and then you can go sell it. You, you need to really understand and respect every liquor store owner who, you know what I mean? Who is like busting their butt and feeding their family on this. It's just, I think our team, when I look at like who really makes a difference, it's, you know, it's the, it's the woman who used to be my assistant, then my chief of staff, and now she's running business development, Jessica Lenz. And like, she she's out here like this is her family business, right? That she's a difference maker. And I think like LeBron and Arnold Schwarzenegger, they would say as well, like you guys have built an incredible team that I'm proud to work alongside every day. Yeah, I think um, that's really exciting. Or jumping back to something you brought up earlier too about your team um, and how it's fifty percent woman led and sixty percent diverse led. I think you said. Um, I'm just curious, like, where do you see the future of women and people of color in general entering the world of spirits? Um, Because it's something we talk about a lot on this podcast. And just how do you see um, other spirits brands um, maybe? creating those entryways or maybe um, how has that become such a priority for Lobos and something that you think other brands should maybe be adopting? Yeah, I mean, the good news is we're at, a, we're at an inflection point where we can now speak unabashedly around why diversity is just very simply good for business. The first thing that has to change is the idea that um, 
you know, adding diversity to a business is some type of charitable endeavor. Every bit of research shows that when you have diversity of thought, you have higher profits, it's better for business, it's better for retention, and you drive more sales, just a fact, right? So I think one is you have to change the approach. The second piece is when we look at uh, at a broader level, not just spirits, but as, as, an, as a country, um, there's a lot of outstanding conversation and great passion around civil rights. But I actually feel the thing that we don't talk enough about is entrepreneurship, real equity, real ownership. I'll give you just an example that I, I spend a lot of time on, but I think this likely reverberates to many diverse populations. In America, the average white American is worth 13 times what the average black American is worth. But when you extract down to just um, business owners, that drops to three times which is very exciting news just from a math standpoint that like, okay, if you believe there's been 400 years of civil inequity in this country and it's already just a three X difference by business ownerships, we have to focus on entrepreneurship and ownership as a path forward. When you look at the spirits industry, the amount of founders, like real founders who build a company successfully sell with these amazing exits that we all look at and think are the, the, the aviation stories, the Casa Amigo stories, there are, less than 1% of them in a meaningful way of black and brown constituents. Women are a little bit better, but it's still in the single digits. That doesn't make any sense. You look at women are 50% of the population, they should be 50% participating in those type of exits. The spirits industry has a lot of work to do at every level from every tier. But the great news is every conversation I'm having, everybody's ready to do the work. And the more we have these conversations, I feel like we're, we're progressing it forward. It just needs to be a math-based, um, metric-based approach, not just theory and kind of professorial musings. Absolutely. Yeah. Wait, I couldn't have and could never say it better myself. <laughs> um, this is actually a perfect way to conclude our conversation, actually. Uh, I know you're a very busy woman on the way to somewhere. So <laughs> is, uh, unless anybody else has anything else to add. I think I'm on the way to like, more Lobo 1707. Okay, of course. <laughs> Oh. oh my god me too <laughs> I, i'm so grateful guys for the time and this and and a chance to talk about this we're we're really thrilled uh lobo 1707 we have our, our hoven out now our repo our extra añejo mezcal coming soon if you guys haven't personally tried and you in, and you guys indulge please do try let me know what you think about it um uh, but we're, we're really proud of it oh for sure and the uh, añejo or the extra añejo with the Sherry cask finish. That sounds amazing too. Yes, incredible, incredible. Do you, can you can you also shout out your uh, your anywhere we can follow you like on social media or you know anywhere so the oh, listeners yes. can follow yes. you guys. Yes, I'm I'm, I'm uh, on I'm on all social Instagram, Twitter as DSM D I A S I M M S. Just my name at DSM. Gotcha. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dia. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Have a great one. You too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of EOD Drinks. If you've enjoyed this program, please leave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps other people discover the show. And tell your friends. We want as many people as possible listening to this amazing program. And now for the credits. End of Day Drinks is recorded live in New York City at Vine Pairs headquarters. And it is produced, edited, and engineered by Vine Pairs Station Director, yes, he wears a lot of hats, Keith Beavers. I also want to give a special thanks to Vine Pairs co-founder, Josh Mallon, to the executive editor, Joanna Schiarino, to our senior editor, Kat Walensky, 
our senior staff writer, Tim McCurdy, and our associate editor, Katie Brown. And a special shout out to Danielle Greenberg, VinePair's art director who designed the sick logo for this program. The music for End of Day Drinks was produced, written, and recorded by Darby Seaside. I'm VinePair co-founder Adam Teeter, and we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot.